Welcome to Laser Focused, a podcast that takes you on the journey of discovery with the leaders that are changing the world with new design and revolutionizing how we think of advanced manufacturing. I'm your host, Renate Youssef, CMO and brand disruptor at Velo3D. Today, I'm speaking with Christina Corp. Christine is a space advisor, founder of Space for a Better World, the president of Purpose Entertainment, and self-professed astronaut wrangler. For 10 years, Christina managed Apollo 11 astronaut Buzz Aldrin and launched his education foundations, ShareSpace and the Aldrin Family Foundation. With Space for a Better World, Christina and her team aim to connect the space curious to the space serious through events, experiences, and storytelling using the awe and wonder of space exploration. So welcome to the show, Christina. It's so great to have you. Thank you, Renette. Nice to meet you. You too. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this conversation all week, I think. And I love the title, Astronaut Wrangler. And I understand that you managed uh, Buzz Aldrin for over a decade. So how did you actually connect with Buzz? And what was that like? It's a crazy (laughs) pathway to space. You know, space was not the plan for my life at all. Although I always loved space. I was a professional singer, ran a media company, did a lot of stuff like rock star lifestyle. And then I needed a break. And then I answered an ad to work for Buzz Aldrin in The Hollywood Reporter in Los Angeles. The funny thing is, is there are lots of people who would ask, how did you get this job? And then I'd say, well, I answered an ad in The Hollywood Reporter. And then they would say, I wouldn't have the guts to do that. Wow. So I've always been kind of like, what have I got to lose? So yeah, it's been a crazy journey for sure. And what was it like working with Buzz? When I finally met him, it was my first day of work. And when I walked in, he was standing there with a cup of coffee. And he just looked like this, just jolly old, old man. And the first thing he said to me was, because I had a Starbucks cup in my hand, and he said, you don't have to buy coffee. We have coffee here. I wasn't expecting him to be just so normal. Normal, yeah. The thing I always really loved about Buzz is he's not snobby. He was quite curious. He was like a kid. And then he was also the extreme awkward engineer (laughs) all at the same time. I think we all know an awkward engineer that's also outgoing. (laughs) So what's one thing you've learned working with astronauts that you'll keep with you for the rest of your life? I think the thing that I really admire the most about astronauts is there's this true camaraderie. There's this shared understanding of the desire to explore and to be curious and to try to find what's out there. And so I'm like that too. I'm willing to take big risks. That's things that astronauts will do. But I think what I really appreciate is just, there's just this natural understanding between all of them about the bigger picture. And I think that not just for me, I think for anyone, that's a good reminder of being a part of something bigger than yourselves, even though they may be the rock stars of the space world. They also are very aware that they need the team behind them to make it all happen. So that's something that I appreciate from the astronaut point of view. And then, of course, also just their perspective of looking back at Earth. Yeah, I always say every astronaut I ever met worked so hard to get to space only to discover the Earth. Mm-hmm. And then has been fascinated about the kind of places I've gotten to go that they haven't been to yet. Curiosity seems to come up a lot with our guests lately. I think it's really inherent in in all of these engineers and science and space people. Like It's almost like you have to be curious enough to want to go to space. Yeah, I think there's a perception that you have to be a genius Mm -hmm. from people who work outside of space. No, you don't. I know all these people. (laughs) (laughs) They're smart people, but I don't feel like anyone's any smarter than I am. I just don't like to do math. 
But the thing is, is there's this desire, the curiosity to find things out, to learn how to do things we didn't know how to do before. And I think that that's the best part like of it that unites everybody who decides to really devote themselves to working in space. So on that, in 2020, while most of the world was struggling with the new normal, we were social distancing, we were having Zoom calls. You were, however, really busy and you found a space for a better world. And what was that like for you? I ran Buzz's Education Foundation because there was a point where he was saying, I'm not going to live to see Mars missions. How am I going to keep this going? And I was like, well, through kids and through young people, Mm. you need to get people of the future caring about what's going to happen in the future. And so when I left the, the Aldrins after 12 years of my life, I had already been committed to doing women's projects. I had produced a project for the 100th anniversary of women's right to vote. And then, to be honest, I thought I was done with space. And I was trying to find a job, and I couldn't find a job. Buzz would say, nobody knew what to do with a man who walked on the moon Mm. after he came back. So I was like, man, nobody knows what to do with a girl who managed a man who walked on the moon. (laughs) I was debating on going back to entertainment, but of course, the whole world was stopped, especially entertainment. And then my friend Shirag Parikh, who's now executive secretary of the National Space Council, I've known him for years since he was in the White House. And so I said, I think I'm going to leave space. I think I'm done. And he was like, what are you talking about? You're the most connected person in the world that I know in space. You just need to own your place in space. And you just need to start getting other people to understand. And then in the meantime, I realized, okay, maybe I can't go anywhere, but I could do social media projects and use these relationships, especially with women, to try to highlight the female astronauts, the female pioneers. And so that's what made me so busy was because I thought, okay, we can't go anywhere, fine. I will start trying to make use of the fact that maybe we can try to bring everybody together in a digital way at first. Once things started opening up, then it just got busier and busier. (laughs) So much is going through my head right now. Like, How did you get through entertainment to space? Do you ever stop and think about that? And also how good something was made out of a horrible situation like 2020? I'm not going to lie. It was tough financially and, and it went on much longer for everyone than I thought it was going to. My skills in entertainment of producing and, and, and knowing how to produce an event really was a huge asset to someone like Buzz Aldrin. Buzz is a genius. He can do orbital dynamics and trajectories in his head. He can do the math, get this huge grand vision, but he's not very good at explaining it. And so Very quickly, I began to see, wow, there's this whole world going on in space. And I think most people are like me, and they don't know what's going on in space. And they may love space, but they're just not even being exposed to it. So that's where I realized, okay, maybe I can use my entertainment background to start raising awareness about, first of all, that there were more than Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin who walked on the moon, 12 humans who walked on the moon, six moon landings. And then also help Buzz try to create ways to get young people to care about an old guy who walked on the moon a long time ago. And I think that we need a lot more people like me in in space, to be honest. This started 15 years ago. I never thought I'd be doing this 15 years later. So, yeah, it's amazing. What's one thing that you learned from founding Space for a Better World that really did surprise you? I started Space for a Better World because I was producing the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11. And there were some people who were like, oh, I want to send this sponsorship package to my friends, but they, they care about the environment. They care about climate. And they're just not going to get on board with the space thing. And I was like, well, hold on a second. Who do, where do they think they're getting that information? <laughs> it's the space people primarily who are providing that information. So 
And I started talking about all these ways that space benefits life on Earth. And so I, I wrote a one-pager called Space for a Better World to try to explain to people who are not space people how they're using space technology all the time and they just don't know that's what it is. And then it was actually in October of 2021, I did this giant aim higher artwork in Atlanta, Georgia to celebrate International Day of the Girl and World Space Week. And NASA astronauts Nicole Stodd and Susan Kilrain and then Inspiration4 astronaut Cyan Proctor came to support me at this unveiling of this giant artwork. And I was just trying to highlight a black astronaut, the second black woman to go to space, to raise awareness about who she is. And she's an Artemis astronaut. And it was those ladies who said, you're killing yourself doing this, like all of this stuff. We know you're not getting paid to do it. You should start your own foundation and we'll support you. We will show up because we know that you really mean this. So that's what prompted me to say, okay, I'll start up my own foundation because they're right. I feel this sense of responsibility with these relationships I have with astronauts and what I was the witness to with Buzz Aldrin to keep it going, to keep the inspiration going. I work really hard at it and I don't pay myself for my foundation. So I spend about half my time on that and half my time on actually trying to make a living. So you've said before that STEM movement was a mistake, which many yeah. might find controversial. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why you feel like that? So I say that and I can hear people go like, how dare you say that? And first of all, again, remember, I came from entertainment. I'm a professional singer. I come from a family of artists. And then my experience with astronauts, like even Buzz would say this. He was like, there was no such thing as a STEM movement. What happened was we saw that amazing things were happening and we wanted to be a part of it. And then what people like him and the other astronauts would do would try to find a way to be a part of it, use their skills, whatever the heck it is. And then the marketing in the Apollo days was really good. Now, someone created the STEM movement because they're like, oh, we need more scientists, engineers, technologists, mathematicians. I'm not saying that we don't need that. But the problem is, is that makes it seem like only those people who are good at those four things are valuable to society. And I think it sends this message to young people that these are the things you need to learn. But people are not that cut and dried. And I have kids and my daughter loves to draw and sing and she's very creative, but she's also quite good at math too. And then my son is really just good at math. He doesn't like the rest. And so he's one of those ones that's right there. But the thing is, is that every astronaut I know is also an artist, a musician, a craftsperson, or they sew, or they... They're all very creative and they all talk very openly about how that creative thinking is really critical to how good they are at what they do or what helped them problem solve. And so Nicole Stott, the NASA astronaut that I call my main partner in purpose, she's 100% on board with me on this. And I like the way that she says it. She says, why are we telling all these young people to use half their brain? That's what the STEM movement is. It's use, telling them to use half their brain. And she said, we need to get back to whole brain education. I like the way that she says that. So when I say the STEM movement is a mistake, I think that it, it sends a message to young people that do these four things and you're going to be successful. And it's just not that simple. And I think that if you're not one of those super technical people, you're like, okay, what about me? What's left for me? I guess I don't fit in there. And so... The problem is with the STEM movement is it's very popular. Lots of corporations and even NASA and lots of people have jumped on this bandwagon. But the thing is, is it has not fixed the problem. We have less women in those fields than we did in the 70s. I want to do a TED talk about this because 
I want to show examples of all the astronauts and the people that I know who work at NASA and work in space who are also extremely creative and change the narrative about what we need if we want to advance innovation. We feel really strongly you need creativity and creative things like art to advance innovation. And so that's the reason why. So, so I've had people argue with me and say, we still need those things. I'm like, I know, but you also need these things. And that's what the STEM movement is. Yes, people do STEAM, but a lot of people in STEM feel like the A is just an afterthought or it's just a nice thing to throw in. And we feel, no, it's a very critical piece of it. I think you should definitely do a, a TED Talk. I got goosebumps while you were talking about it, so I think it will resonate. But one thing you were talking about during that part of the conversation was how art is really important with science and STEM. And I think you've also talked about, you've seen innovative ways people are using art alongside science to achieve competitive advantage. Do you have examples of that and how it turned out and why it's important to keep this innovation with creativity and STEM? I'll, I'll give a current example, which I think is really interesting. So there's a company in the UK, I don't work with them, I just happened to meet them, called Oxford Space System. So they make giant antennas in space, very technical types of things. But to be very creative about, okay, how can we make things lightweight, more compact, that sort of thing, they brought in an origami artist to help figure out how to fold things more efficiently, more creatively to make it smaller and more compact to launch to space. And then they also thought, okay, well, we need to make this material very lightweight and flexible. How do we do that? So they brought in a knitting expert. So they have a knitting expert there as well, who basically is the one who knits all of this mesh that they create for these um, arrays. And it is, to me, the perfect example of bringing together the arts with the technical, because it's actually making their, it's giving them a leading edge because they're, they said, we're, we become known as the place where if you know you want to do something, you're not quite sure how to do it, we can help you figure it out because we will bring different types of things to the table. And then the other part for young people, there's a guy named Anthony Genova who at NASA Ames, who does orbital dynamics. He does the calculations of gravity assist and how you use that to swing around planets and trajectories to get throughout the solar system. But he likes to go and volunteer at schools. And he was showing me how he likes to show kids that if you just repeat an orbit, say you set it on a trajectory and you just repeat the orbit, it makes a flower every time, every single time. It's like the order of the universe is also this beautiful thing that happens naturally on Earth with flowers. He's like, it doesn't matter even how you bend the orbit. Every time it'll make some sort of flower. And so I like to try to get people to look at it that way because I think that that's what turns the brain on of like, okay, how can we do something we haven't thought of before? Because the problem, I think, with the STEM movement, going back to that too, is that it's very good at trying to get people to memorize or learn how to do the things we already know how to do. And we need to learn how to do things we've never done before and have people dream that up and then try to figure out how to make it happen. So I like that Oxford Space Systems has this really great thought process of, oh my gosh, let's bring in an origami expert to learn how to fold things better. Then we know how to do it as engineers. It's so cool. It is really cool. You also, going back to STEM, since the conversation was going back there, you, saw, you also mentioned that there is still a, a gender gap and it's even bigger than it was before. What do you think we need to do to close that gap? To close that gap, I think that we have to do a better job of explaining to people that, first of all, 
Sure, we need the engineers and the scientists and the astronauts, but we also need the space lawyers and we need the medical people and we need the people who know how to sew the spacesuits, that there's a desperate shortage of seamstresses to sew the spacesuits and the parachutes and the other things that require sewing. Machines can't do it. The precision that's needed, a, a human has to do. I always say, like, the number one thing that gets cut in an aerospace budget is marketing. And it's a huge mistake because they may have all these big government contracts, but then I hear complaints all the time from people saying, we can't fill our workforce. We're worried about this. We can't seem to get young people to come and work for us. And I'm like, why would they want to work for you? They don't know what you're doing. I actually think the military ads are pretty good. They do a really good job of appealing to the patriotism of a young person, of learning a cool futuristic job and doing something that you're proud of. And that's what I feel like the aerospace world needs to do too. So it's not just a matter of messaging, but just remember those are directors and video editors and graphic artists and like people who are making those campaigns. And so more of that is needed to help with the messaging of what's going on in space to get a broader support. And when you do that and you show amazing things, that I think is what will encourage more people to want to work in these fields. Because I know a lot of people who work at NASA who were C students. People think you have to be a genius to work at NASA or in these aerospace companies. And I'm like, no, no, these are just people who wanted it really bad. And they just kept trying and they just kept trying. So that's the message of the creativity. And there's lots of room for you. We've got lots of opportunities for you. There was a kid one day I was wearing like an, I have an NASA t-shirt on that was in the grocery store and he was bagging my groceries and he said, hey, do you work at NASA? I said, no, no, but I work in space. And he's like, really? He goes, well, I always loved space and I love NASA, but I'm not very good at math. So I missed my shot. And I said, no, you didn't. What do you want to do? And he's like, well, I don't know yet. I'm only 20 years old. I said, there are so many jobs. You could work in administration. You could be an assistant. You could be an intern. You could learn how to make satellites. I mean, there's so many things you could do. And he was like, really? I said, go look at the job postings because there could be something there for you. And he's like, wow, I never thought I could. And that's what I think just needs to come back is like somehow if you don't have some sort of advanced degree, I think a lot of people stop themselves from even trying. I absolutely love it. And it's already making me think more than I have about roles and responsibilities in, in the space world. But you did also mention something around Buzz and his qualities. And we've talked about like you having to be curious and not using just one half of your brain. But what qualities does someone need to have to become an astronaut? Well, NASA obviously has their criteria, which is STEM degrees, which interestingly to me, by the way, it wasn't only till about maybe a year, year and a half ago that they included medical doctors in that. So even if you were a physician, you were not considered a high enough STEM degree to be a NASA astronaut, which is insane. Because I know lots of guys who only have like master's degree in math who are astronauts. And I don't understand how that's higher than being a doctor. <laughs> and so, so, they, so they fixed that one. But then like even a nursing degree, even if you have a PhD in nursing is not considered high enough criteria, you still need to be an engineer or a mathematician on top of it. And I know what it is. They're trying to like, weed out a lot of people. But the problem is, I think they're also weeding out a lot of potential talent. Now, that's partially why I do think that the game changer is commercial space. But I do appreciate, though, that there are programs for if you're just a regular person, you could apply. You could try to be one of those people who gets to go to space. So and what I liked with Inspiration4 was he had Haley Arsenault, 
was a cancer survivor and she's got a rod in her leg. And then the other two were selected from applying through a Twitter campaign. So I like that that's opening up these possibilities to people who would maybe not, they would not make it through NASA or ESA or whatever. And I understand that those programs have to limit who they can get. But I also think it's good now to see that there are other pathways and it's going to change all the time. I was just with Sarah Sabre, the first Egyptian in space, and she's getting her PhD in spacesuits. So she's doing like the right thing. That being said, she's Egyptian. It's a nightmare for her to go anywhere in the world because she's Egyptian. My parents like, are Egyptian. I understand this. <laughs> oh, my God. Just to go anywhere is just so difficult. She has to get a visa for mm. every single country. And I forget about this sometimes mm. and I take it for granted. And so... So I appreciate that the commercial space is allowing access for someone like Sarah mm-hmm. and someone who comes from a place that it might seem impossible mm-hmm. for them. Uh, it's, it's starting to open that up. You know? We talked about the gender gap, but something you just said, right? Like everybody at NASA or in the space companies have their math genius <laughs> or an engineer. So I'm imagining there's also some like diversity gap, but nobody seems to try to talk about it. I will say this. NASA is definitely a beacon of positivity, at least when it comes to women. And so that is one thing that we do also like to highlight is, as a positive thing is that NASA is actually one of the best places to work for women. And what's really cool about it, because I'm quite good friends with both Joanne Morgan, who was the only woman in launch control at Kennedy Space Center when Apollo 11 lifted off, and then Toppy Northcutt, who was the only woman to work in mission control during the Apollo missions. For a long time, they were the only women. But what's really cool now is that mission controls run by women. Launch control is run by women, primarily women. Kennedy Space Center is is run by a woman. Janet Petro, Johnson Space Center is run by Vanessa Weiss, the first black woman ever to be in that role. Marshall Space Flight Center is run by a woman. And Pam Melroy, who's the deputy NASA administrator. There are, in that way, NASA is definitely leading the way. I can't say the rest of aerospace is that mm, way, mm. but NASA's doing a pretty good job. And so... Mm-hmm. I'm doing some events in for the UK government in October in Harwell, and they know they have a gender True. diversity, mm, mm. which is partially why they have asked me to come and help uh, lead some activities to try to draw attention to the opportunities that are there. Because that's the other problem. There, it's not just a oh, there's too many men who work in space. It's also there are a lot of women who stop themselves from even trying to go work in space. I believe it. And we have to try to get women to quit disqualifying themselves from applying for those kinds of jobs because everybody wants them. And then they complain to me, well, we don't get those applications. And so for a while I was like, oh, that's just nonsense. But then I do talk to women and they're intimidated to even apply. So it is a two-sided problem. Yeah, I agreed. What's on the horizon for you in space for a better world? Now I'm gearing up to go to Brazil to start planning aim higher events in 2024 in Brazil. But then aside from that, I also have two zero gravity flights, one in France in September, another one in October at Johnson Space Center with three astronauts, Charlie Duke, 10th man to walk on the moon, Nicole Stott and Doug Hurley. And then I also am producing these events for the UK government, October 9th, 10th, 11th around World Space Week. And so what I'm excited about is that I'm known for doing inspiration events, doing space art and doing things that advance, hopefully, the conversation about diversity and how to welcome more people in. Because I'm living proof that you can take the bare minimum of math and science (laughs) and work in space. So I'm really passionate about trying to get people to see, like, 
what those opportunities are. And then also not just that you can get a good paying job, but that it's being a part of something bigger than yourself. It's very fulfilling. It's why I work so hard at what I do. Perfect. So what about one piece of advice or insight you've received or learned during your career, even if you're a professional singer, that you think our listeners would benefit from? I'm willing to take risks, and that's something I would say to people. A lot of people go and do things that they can't stand, and then they'll just give up on it. And there are lots of times you want to do, you don't want to do something, but I will say every time I've done something I didn't like, it was really helpful in the future. And so, and then I tell lots of young people too, because no one really told me this, but this is just what I feel that has helped me a lot, was trying a lot of things. I think a lot of times people think, okay, I'm going to go get this degree and this is my path. And so you can change your mind. You don't have to do that. You might go down this pathway thinking, I'm going to love doing this. And then you're like, man, I hate this. And it's and it's possible to change your mind too. That's another thing. I never thought in a billion years I would be working with astronauts. I literally took this job with Buzz Aldrin to just have a break for a little while because I was working so hard at what I was doing And I just was running myself into the ground and I wanted to have a life. So the funny thing is, is it gave me this whole other life that I never expected. When I would say I answered an ad in The Hollywood Reporter, people would say, I don't have the guts to do that. I'm like, well, I got nothing to lose. If you don't apply, you're not going to get it. If you do apply, you don't get it. You gave it a shot. And for me, I think I was like the 200th resume that they said they had gotten. And they had already interviewed like a dozen people. And everyone that was coming in was really technical, thinking Buzz Aldrin, I must need an engineering degree. No, they needed somebody like me who knew how to handle like a, a, his speaking tours and his media. And so I was actually the perfect person that if you looked at my resume and looked at that ad, some people might have thought, nah, don't don't apply to that. This is a technical guy. And what my skills were exactly what was needed for that job. Excellent. So thank you for coming on the show. I really loved the conversation. It was very inspiring. Where can our listeners find out more about you and the work you're doing? So I post a lot on primarily Instagram, I will say. So you can follow me on Instagram at Astronaut Wrangler is one of them at Space Fab World through my foundation. And they can also go to spaceforabetterworld.com. And that's where most of the outreach and the astronaut escorted type of experiences are posted. Excellent. Thanks again. That was really fun. Do we need to change the narrative around subjects like STEM in order to advance innovation? Space exploration and organizations like NASA need creative, talented individuals, yet there seems to be a perception that the only way to work in space is to be a genius. In hearing from Christina, it becomes clear that's absolutely untrue. Space exploration can have a considerable impact on life on Earth that we need to do a better job explaining the benefits to those who don't necessarily have a background in space. Christina's approach with Space for a Better World can show that there is room for many different disciplines in the space industry. Hearing Christina refer to the STEM movement as a mistake was incredibly thought-provoking. When framed in the context of only highlighting development of half the brain, it really makes sense. I loved hearing Christina's examples of how the knitting and origami weren't disciplines many would imagine would pair with innovations in satellite manufacturing. This effectively illustrates Christina's point. Alongside education, 
the ability to think outside the box, be curious, and take risks remain among the most important characteristics for innovators. Thank you for listening to Laser Focused. You can find new episodes every two weeks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and leave a review to help more listeners find us. I'm Renette Youssef, and this has been Laser Focused, brought to you by Velo3D, where together we innovate without compromise.